0: Welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend chavruta, Yerdeyna Azband, our daf of the day, Masach Sahim, daf ayin Hey, page 75. So our page continues in its discussion of the Mishnah, the Mishnah which said, among other things, the specifics of roasting the animal and making sure that the wood that you roast on is uh, from pomegranate wood to make sure that there's no possibility of there being any water inside of that wood so that we can make sure that the that any of that the roasting is roasting that it's not cooking that it doesn't have any water in there and also where we understand from the biblical verse that the that the way that we roast is not by there's no dry heat here right it has to be from an actual flame and that same piece of information carries us into the beginning of this stuff so the Literally, it says "Ain solina This is a citation from the Mishnah, Maseli Stor. So the Gemara says, "Wasn't there an, in, in, an incident that would contradict Steira's contradiction to contradict the idea that you don't roast on a grill?" And we spoke about this yesterday when we were talking about the Mishnah and Rabban Kamliel sends Tavi his servant and says specifically, "Go roast on the grill." But the Gemara here says, "Chisuri the Bahachi Katani." So, Chisura we haven't spoken about this in a long time. Chisura is um, a phrase that means specifically that there is, that the text itself is somehow incomplete, meaning where, where the sages, in this case, the Amoraim, are saying that the Tana'itic text, the Mishnah, is missing some of the words that it needs to be the full Mishnaic text. Now, I'm going to read the, the new text, right? The newly amended text, um, as the Gemara has it. Now, the other thing I would say is, you know, we don't usually try this at home, right? This is something that when, when we say that there's a, a lacuna, there's some kind of gap in the text, and the Gemara comes to tell us that, then we say, oh, look, the Gemara says there's a gap in the text, as opposed to me coming and saying, well, I don't like this text. I'm going to just add some more words in, and it will completely change the meaning. The, the Gemara adds here, and it's a really big deal, a, and if it's a perforated grill, a grill that has holes in it, munukevet, nekev is a hole, mutar, then that's allowed. And then you can understand, meaning, Rabban Gamliel was not really disagreeing with the idea about a grill being a problem. He was saying that the grill... Only, he was accepting the idea of a grill menukevit, the idea that there's a perforated grill, and that becomes an acceptable way uh, to roast your Korban Pesach on a, on a perforated grill as opposed to a non-perforated grill. Now, I'm embarrassed to say, I don't know that I know the difference. I, I'm guessing guessing you know the there's difference something between with a perforated, perforated grill versus a non-perforated grill.
1: It has something to do with the heat conduction, because remember, the issue with the grill was was that the metal would sort of end up Cooking the meat itself, so I understood it, that there was something about the perforation that makes it that sort of the, you know, it's it's not t- it's not touching the meat in the same way. You know that it's like, in other words, the grill is actually more like a series of
0: bars okay, that so makes like a me. large
1: space, um, and then the spit would be like placed in between the open space, so it's not really touching a bar because we don't want it to touch metal. God. Right, exactly. Right, right. And don't then, want to, then the, the you Mishnah can't
0: claim earlier, that the cooking is done from be,
1: the middle. Okay, but, okay but fair enough. But what's weird is, is that what you're talking about this, you know, when you read the Mishnah, it actually looks like the proof, the Rabban Leo story is to prove that you can use the grill. And it's amazing how they add this to be like, no, it's exactly the opposite. Right.
0: Well, because I think, right, this Gemara says, like, was that Baisa Shahaya? Was that example of Rabbi Kamliel coming to contradict the statement to the Mishnah? That cannot be. And of course, it can be, because that does happen in Mishnah. But it's interesting to me that this is that this is the preference. And also, by the way, you know, I don't think that they're just um making it up wholesale. Right. I think that there's to be able to say, I think there has to be a tradition. Somebody remembers a detail that was not in the oral tradition that was held by somebody else. Because that's how oral tradition works. I mean, I guess, right? That there's a certain amount of um, making sure that there's no broken telephone right. oh, being just, played. You know, always in, interesting when we have this the, is they the don't bring proof the about it.
1: It's just like, oh. oh, no, no. We know this is a chassari mechsara. And then the Gemara sort of moves on. Whereas today, if someone said that, you know, if someone were to say, or when academics, let's say, who go through Talmudic texts or any text and say, this is a corrupted text, you know, that tends to be met by the religious community as uh, not okay to do. But we see that this was a methodology that was done.
0: Right. As I said, I don't think we just... Yes, right. This is why I say, like, I'm not sure how often it would be. It's not. It's a common thing. It's a relatively common thing, but it's also not... I don't think that they're just making them up. There's a shock element whenever
1: I see it, like, especially this one you completely reverse the meaning of the Mishnah. Completely reverse it.
0: Oh, yes. Okay, so then what happens? The Gemara continues. And part of what it's doing in this discussion of the roasting of the Korban Pesach, it talks about an oven where the the fire is burning the peels of fruit that are orla, right? Meaning, we're, let's give a tiny bit of background. A tree that is planted, you have to wait into the fourth year to be able to use the fruit of that tree because it's considered until then it's considered prohibited. It's preliminary. It's not, it's called Orla. It's not yet ready to be used. And then you can't really do anything with those fruits. If there's any fruit, not all trees bear fruit that early in their planting, but if there's any fruit, you can't do anything with it because it's prohibited and it's prohibited in such a way that you you could, right? What would happen if you would use the peels of the fruit from the Orla Right, which you can't eat that fruit, you could still use that. Um, you could still use it as fuel, and then let's say. So then the Gemara says, "Well, what if you bake the bread in it?" Right, which means here we're talking about something where you're not supposed to be baking bread with heat from orla fuel. Because the problem is the orla. We'll exp- we'll link this back into the carbon pesach in a moment. Right. So then, what do you do with the hal- What's the halakha about the bread? Can you eat it or can you not eat it? And the Gemara here says very specifically. Hapat muterit, you could eat that bread. Why? Because it's, it's a really subtle distinction. It says it's not cooked by the fuel of the orla. It's cooked from the heat that is trapped in the oven, the heat that got there by the fuel from the orla. So that's why I say it's a very subtle distinction because we have, right, the, the prohibition of using the orla. And then, but since the orla is already burned and then there's heat, you're one step removed, I guess, from the orla, it's enough, it's considered enough that the bread would be allowed. So then the question is, what about the carbon Pesach? What would happen if you have an oven that had a fire, meaning an actual flame kind of fire, and now the heat is still in that oven, even though the flames themselves have died down. And the, my understanding here is that this is insufficient for the carbon Pesach meaning the heat that is one step removed from the flames is enough to get you out of the problem of Orla if you're baking bread, but the heat that is removed from the flames is too far removed from the flames if what you're trying to do is offer a Korban Pesach where we have a verse that says you need flame, right? Sli ace, you need actual flame. And without actual flame, you end up um, you know, not having the right kind of heat. For the carbon
1: No, I mean, I think it's just uh, it's, Dana, before it, I go on, what's going to follow is, and I know a part you want to get to here is just this very in- interesting discussion of like, what makes fire fire or what is a flame of a flame? You know, there's something very Gomorrah-ish about this, right? Like it's never can't just use the term slea, right? We're going to have to dissect it in all different ways because we recognize that there's so many different, you know, sources or ways to actually heat things.
0: Right, right. Um, okay, so what this is this question of how do you actually heat things is key to the next bit that we're going to talk about, but I need to get a little bit of background information on, I don't know, I guess it's the middle of Ahmad Aleph. We end up in a discussion of the, the very serious punishment for the daughter of a Kohen who commits adultery after she's been betrothed. Now the halakhic term for her is the Naharaha Morasa. morsa, meaning, we translate as engagement, but betrothal is a better translation, meaning we're talking about a woman whose status is that she is now linked specifically to this man to whom she has become betrothed, and she can't get out of it without a get, without a divorce, or I guess if he dies, right? Meaning, there's no, it's not nowadays in our modern terminology of engagement, oh, let's get engaged, and then people break engagements, and it doesn't there's no halachic meaning to that, right? The, but the betrothal, a halachic erusin, there is right. in fact well, meaning Well, if to you've it. been sure to the wedding, it's before. We the will first discuss this at length wedding. as we move then on in the sabbatical. Then it's usually separated
1: by the ketubah um, reading, and then you have the shavuot baruchot. But that first part, you know, with the ring given and saying harayat mikudeshetly, that was done 12 months right. before, and then you would sort of have this engagement period for this erusin period for 12 months. Sorry, go on. <laughs>
0: And and well, the real here, the issue here is that this betrothal takes place before the actual wedding, and that because she is linked to the man to whom she is now betrothed, any uh, liaison with her and somebody else during that time before the wedding is considered adultery, even though she's not yet fully for- formally married. So now, if she's a bat kohen, right, meaning any person who commits adultery is in trouble, but about Kohain who is, commits adultery her and and again, here we're talking about somebody who is tried properly, who has given proper warning, meaning all of the conditions are in place to make sure that the punishment can be actually ca- can actually be carried out. her punishment for, for every anyone of this who has done this, the sentence is death, but the death sentence for the Naram sa, the manner of death. Is a different death than that of everybody else, in which case, in and, and which it is considered to be a more extreme death. And she is technically considered, uh, the halacha is that she is burned. We have to talk about what that is in a moment. But her death sense is burning. Now, there's four mitot betin. There's four different deaths that the betin can carry out. They didn't really, but it, that they could have. One is stoning. One is burning. One is, oh my goodness, skilas, Rafa, harig, and chenek. One is by the sword. And one is strangulation, and again, each one of we, these, what we that get means to happen, we'll is really very different than this. just what the words themselves imply, right? But we need to unpack the 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 question of burning here, because you would think, right, burning would mean my image, of course, as a New Englander is which is burned at the stake in in colonial New England, and that's a fire, that's a fire with flames of fire. But the halakha is more merciful than, than that and less disfiguring. And the halakha is that, in, I mean, it's not any less gruesome. The halakha is that instead of being burned in fire, the set the death sentence of Shreifah, of being burned is that molten lead is uh, poured down the victim, the, the death sentence person's um, throat, right? So again, still gruesome, still pretty awful of a death. Um, don't commit adultery if you're about Kohen. So this is the question, right? Are we talking about... Um, the Gemara is all talking about the Korban Pesach, and the Korban Pesach question of eish, of fire, can you use metal? And it's reviewing this question, and then it comes to this question about the Nara Morsah. Right? We have this question of what if you have hot pieces of metal, like coals of metal, isn't that considered fire? Vahaga bat And isn't that what it's called by, you know, in the case of the bat-kohen and the daughter of the priest, ba Explicitly, it says in the biblical verse in Vayikra, in uh, Leviticus 21, says ba-eish she will be burned in fire. The word eish is there. So shouldn't, whatever the halach is about her, shouldn't that same deal for the word fire, eish, shouldn't that also apply to the Korban Pesach, eish? So Rav Matana says that they wouldn't actually burn her in fire. They would prepare her for this molten bar of lead, right? And then that's how they would execute her, by pouring molten lead down her throat, um, which the Gemara is trying to say, "See, see, metal can be considered, or I guess in this case, yeah, molten lead. But in this case, the idea is that the the metal itself can be considered fire, because for her, it is. So the Gemara answers, Shani Hatam, no, that's a different case, which, of course, we knew was coming. Amar Kra, because the Pasuk there, the verse for the Nara Marasa says, Ba'esh Tisaref, right? The daughter of the Kohen, it says specifically, in in fire, she should be burned. And then Tisareif, the expression of she should be burned, comes to include any burning that would emerge or be spawned by fire itself. So the fact that the lead is molten because of the fire is sufficient it's efficient H. It's sufficient flames of fire, even though they're not actually what's um, burning her body. Uh, as compared to the carbon pesach. Where again, um, the concern is that you I, actually like, need skip down to fire, flame,
1: fire. A little bit farther down here, which is, I, I actually read this passage, you know, it's bizarre, like trying to show like, how exactly did we kill someone and what was the actual method of killing them? Um, and again, when we get to Sanhedrin, it's actually going to happen. And I'm sure maybe most people are familiar with that that if you had more than one uh, sort of killing by the Besden, you know, punishment by death, mita uh you know, Ali you know, the Beit uh, more than one in 70 years was considered a bloody bezdin. So this these were not things that happened very commonly. Um, but I was very intrigued uh by this thing, you know, uh that Ravi Nachman that Rav Nachman says here, right? Like they go through this whole thing like maybe it should be water and, you know, and this whole thing about, you know, the burning of a soul with the body remaining intact, and he finally says, Mishunza Rav Nachman, right? Rav Nachman says to Amar Rav Nachman, Amar Kra, right? And he sort of quotes the most famous pasuk, right? The one in Vaikra in Per Gutet, Pasuk Gidchat, you know, about sort of loving each other. And that we learn from this Barurlo lo mitayafa, that if somebody basically needs to be killed by the, by the baiting, by the court, we are obligated to make sure that it's going to be like the most pleasant type of death that you could give. And yeah, and I just thought like there's something so intriguing by Pleasant. this teaching because I think one would argue that having to execute somebody is like, it, it is the ultimate opposite of the haftalariach kamoha. And yet he invokes this pasuk to teach the halacha barur lo mitayafat choose for him like a nice, a nice death, a favorable death. Um, and that somehow, like, this death with the molten lead is going to be not as painful as emerging, you know, this woman into boiling water. I I, I just I don't understand this passage. It seems I, I, I don't know if it's in a way like Rav Nachman coming to make the conversation nicer, you know, like, you know, or the Gemara basically saying, like, we know this is really not pleasant to talk about.
0: Um, I find it really not pleasant to talk about, but I think I understand it because all the other forms of you know some kind of fire death, whether it's hot water, boiling water or flames or whatever else, they're disfiguring and as awful and I can't imagine you know when I discovered that strafa meant molten lead, I was like, What that is terrible right and the and the imagination is is really horrible of it. You know, it's a horrible. I'm not speaking English here, but right. The imagine if you try to imagine what this means, you kind of shut down, but but it's not disfiguring. And I think that that point of of what does it mean to have a kinder death? The, the halacha is still this person's get put to death, but I think there's something kinder yeah, about I, not I, I agree, the and body, it's the, um, the it's just along it was, the way. it's
1: an interesting passage. And the invoking of the haftalarayah kamocha is, uh, is just fascinating to me. Um, I'm going to jump down to the Mishnah, which we're going to really talk about tomorrow, but at least set ourselves up for tomorrow. Um, and so after, you know, there's a lot of discussion here about fire and how we roast it. Um, now, the Gemara is going to talk about some other laws that have to do with the Pesach being eaten sort of, you know, under the sleeve when it's cooked to roast, fire roasted. So let's say the carcass somehow touched a surface, the the earthenware surface of an oven. So you have to peel off that place because in other words, that place was cooked or heated by the, um, came in contact with the oven and and was heated by the heat of this, of the cheres of the oven. And it wasn't heated directly by the Tzli Eish. Natav Allah, let's say some of its gravy dripped into the earthenware. So in other words, what I'm picturing here is that the spit is sort of in some kind of earthenware container and gravy drops down and then it, you know, so it touches the earthenware and then it goes back up, it splatters. So, you know, it reaches back up to the uh, to the to the carcass itself, to the animal itself. You tell him again, you have to sort of scrape off that place where it's splattered. Nuts of bowl, Let's say if some gravy drips into flour, and mikomo, Right, you have to remove uh, that flour right away. Now that's going to be explained later on what exactly that means on tomorrow's thought. But the idea is that it, you know, it, it goes onto this hot flour and it's fried by the heat of the flour. So it's the same sort of idea that this flour was actually hot. Um, when I initially read it, I thought it was like, oh, maybe it's a Hametz thing. But it, but that's not what it is. It, it's, again, this issue of the heat and what and what the, uh, you know, Korban Pesach is being cooked by. Um, some other laws here. Sahu B'Shem Truma. Right. Let's say you sm- you slather the whole carcass, the whole Korban with oil from Truma. Right. So it'd be like nice and crispy. Im Right. So if it was a group, if the Chabura that was going to eat this Korban Pesach is a bunch of Kohanim, they can eat it. But let's say it was a group of Yisraelim and they are not allowed to eat truma. So if the carcass was still raw, you should rinse it off. In other words, just get rid of the truma oil. But if it's roasted already, what do you need to do? You have to peel off the, the outside of it. Because in other words, the raw meat isn't going to absorb the oil. So that's why you can just rinse it off. But if it's roasted already, it's absorbed into the meat itself. And therefore you sort of have to, um, to peel it, to peel it off. Um, and the Gemara will explain later on what exactly that means and how it's done. Right. So now we have a question of what if you rubbed it with the oil of Master Shani? So remember Master Shani was when we have to give all these, you know, different gifts, we give Truma to the Kohanim. we give Master Rishon, which is to the Leviim, And then there was something called Master Shani which on, if we're talking about a full Shemitah cycle of seven years, which is on year one, two, um, four, and five, you would separate something from your produce and then you would have to basically bring it up to Yerushalayim and eat it in shalayam. Now, often what would happen is, is that it would be too hard to like bring, you know, a 10th of everything that you uh, took off for Master Shani. So people would basically uh, redeem it for money, right? You would go sell it in the market and the money you made for it, that's what you took to Yerushalayim and you would buy food while you were in Yerushalayim. I mean, I always find Master Shaney very interesting because it essentially creates an economy around Yerushalayim. It forces people to have to go there and also you have to buy food when you're there. So that's a whole side point. It's another interesting item. Master Shaini always intrigued me. Um, so let's say you took a, a Korban Pesach and you smeared it with Master Shaney. You can't charge the value of it to the members of the group. In other words, if you were going to sort of charge people for buying into this, you know, Korban Pesach, right? Like you said, the animal costs $100 and everyone who's part of this group for the Korban Pesach paid you some money, you can't calculate in the ingredients that, you know, this oil ingredient because it's Master Cheney And Master Cheney. you're not allowed to sort of uh, charge people for you can give it to somebody as a gift, but you can't, can't charge for it. Right? Because Master Saini can't be sold, um, can't actually be sold in Yerushalayim. So, you know, the Gemara is basically tomorrow, the discussion that we're going to have is, is what do you do when a permitted food and a forbidden food come in contact with each other And and a bunch of different scenarios? about, you know, what's permitted to be eaten or how do you separate them out from each other? Well, that's our DAF discussion for the day. Rink is review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this stuff on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.